Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's time to open up your eyes. Open your eyes to make you wealthy and wise. You can watch your profits rise with a business enterprise. We give you what you need to know, what you need to watch your earnings grow. Listening to Enterprise on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Erica Collins. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio's Enterprise, where we want to see your business rise. It's October 11, 2020, coming to you live from New York, New York. It's been a beautiful week in the town that never sleeps, while some of you have just mailed in your vote and others are preparing for the second wave. We have a wonderful show for you today with Sterling Tolls, visual artist and music producer. Good evening, Sterling Tolls. Hey, how are you? I'm happy to be here. Glad you're here as well. Sterling Tolls is a sound artist, illustrator, and music producer. He is an awarded alum of the College for Creative Studies in Detroit a 2016 Kresge Arts Fellow recipient who also serves on the board of Bog Center. He has instructed kids in various art programs around the city of Detroit, and he not only highly regarded visual artist, but a celebrated music producer whose current project has been covered and lauded by Pitchfork, Hype Beast, and Tidal. Once again, welcome to the show, Sterling. Hey, what's up? <laughs> So let's take a little travel back into time to when you were a boy. What did you want to be? So I'll tell you, I was five years old, and uh, I was at the bus stop with my father uh, in southwest Detroit on my way to school, uh, Burton International in the Cass Corridor, Detroit, Michigan. And it was taking some time for the bus to come, and I was getting cold, and I'm like, hey, this school thing is not working out. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm done with school. I don't want to go to school anymore. And he's like, so what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> and I said, I told him this at, <laughs> at five years old, you know. And it's funny because, you know, at this time, you know, I was drawing, like, you know, painting, like, other kids in class and stuff like that. But I think I always knew my entire life that, you know, I was going to lend my energy to the exploration of, you know, my creative spirit. I knew that's what I was here for from, from the beginning, and that's kind of what happened. <laughs> and then you realize you had to go to, to and take more school for drawing, right? <laughs> right, and it's, right, it's funny because, that that <laughs> yeah, but, but here's the funny thing about that, too. Like, I actually didn't really have any v- – classes for visual art until 
high school. And mm-hmm. from K through eight, I was just making stuff at a voracious level, just intuitively. So I was like making things out of cardboard and hanger wires and painting things. And it was just something that I did. So it was interesting when I got to high school, uh, I actually felt behind because a lot of the kids that I was with had classes for a way longer period of time. And I remember going to my guidance counselor and being like, hey, take me out of art. And he's like, where am I going to put you if you're not going to be in art? And I'm like, uh, business or something, I don't know. And he's like, no, boy, go back. And <laughs> so I went back. And what happened when I went back really, I think, sent me on my trajectory. I remember thinking, okay, I'm behind everybody in here. They know how to work all these artistic gadgets that I've never seen before in my life, and I'm going to just create how I love to create and do things that mm-hmm. I feel inspired by. And the next thing you know, it's like I began winning all these contests in high school and all of this stuff started happening. But it taught me in that moment to be true to what I felt I should be doing creatively. And for me, I've watched my most beautiful life emerge from the process of just allowing myself to to take indigenous creative action that kind of allows me to seek and touch fulfillment completely with completely within the creative process versus making things to uh, receive fulfillment from what they produce. So I've learned to, like, create in a way in which, yeah, everything comes inside of the process, and then how people receive that or how the world receives that, that's just icing on the cake from that point, you know. Okay. What uh, made you become a music producer that's a great question. So <laughs> so I was rapping all these years, and, uh, you know, my cousin Kid Worthy was the person that got me into music at an early age. And by the time I was eight or nine, I was rapping, and I was rapping in groups and writing raps, and, and I was all about it. And by 1995, uh, which I was about uh, 18, 19 at the time, I joined a rap group, and I'm in this group. But I realized at this point I was getting completely bored with where hip-hop was at at that particular moment. And so um, I just find myself a little disillusioned, like, rapping over things that felt like things that I already heard. And a Mm -hmm. friend of mine was like, hey, you need to start producing yourself because nobody's going to create what you want to hear. And that's when I realized that a lot of times all of us have this this song that we would love to hear, but we're we're never going to hear it because that's essentially the music inside of us, and that's for us to create. And so around 97 is when I started uh, producing to create things that sounded more like what I was becoming enamored with, which was a lot of music um, coming from abroad and very experimental and all over the place, and I wanted to rap over stuff that sounded like that. So that became became my starting point um, creatively. And it just kind of evolved into me just becoming more interested in creating the sound than actually just creating stuff for me to rap over. How do your experiences prepare you for these ventures? Well, I really feel like what I do is the manifestation of Detroit and all of its majesty and, and <laughs> 
glory within the trenches of the city, the places where people don't really get to see and go to all the time. And so I really see myself as uh, a culturalist in the sense of Mm -hmm. using creativity to document culture as opposed to being a careerist in which I'm using the creativity um, for the sole sake of, uh, you know, reaping benefits of that, but like actually having the creativity be an honest and uh, loving documentation of my experience, primarily in the city of Detroit, but just, uh, you know, also just in the world at large. But uh, I think those experiences in the city that that can be intense at times and, and can be crazy at times has really worked well, I think, in terms of, um, you know, people's ability to really fall in love with what creatives are doing in the city of Detroit. Because one thing about it, unlike some of the larger markets, I think our orientation as creatives in the city of Detroit has always been primarily rooted in us using creativity as a platform for our own personal healing and transformation. Because most of us work regular jobs and, and, uh, you know, we do this as an outlet for our own catharsis. And I think, ironically, that's why a lot of people are enamored with the creativity that comes uh, from the city and which also makes us viable to people in a lot of ways um, because a lot of people are interested in that level of honest creativity, you know. True. How has the coronavirus pandemic affected uh, your work? Uh, (laughs) Let me tell you something. So we just uh, released the album, me and uh, my my partner uh, that I did the album with, Boldy James, uh, who's an incredible rapper that I actually had a good hand in in raising. But uh, we put out an album on uh, July 22nd. And it was funny because I'm thinking this is the middle of a pandemic. Uh, We'll be lucky to to sell any records. Mm -hmm. And we sold sold the entire pressing in one day. And it made me realize that oftentimes music is that one thing that helps people get through the most you know, intense and tumultuous of times. And so Mm -hmm. it was weird because I was just like, man, if we sell 10 records, like that would be great because I'm like, nobody is going to buy records right now. And Mm -hmm. we sold out instantly. It just proved to me that, you know, creativity is so important to uh, the necessary emotional sustenance that, people must have to get through, you know, their lives. And so it proved to me that, you know, you can't, you, you, regardless of the condition of the moment, people are always going to seek experiences that return them to their unconditionality. And sure. that's what I got through the process of releasing this, you know. So you're referring to, to records, you mean downloads or CDs? So 
actual records. <laughs> actual physical like, records. Wow. Actual okay. physical vinyl records. Wow. And, you know, we're actually here's the funny thing because we are in the digital age. Mm-hmm. It made the center of the music industry exist within the digital world. But what happened is because everything has gone digital, people that really enjoy particular albums still want a physical keepsake of this piece of music that they love and enjoy. And what happened, Mm -hmm. because everything shifted digitally, people said, okay, I want a physical copy of this record that I love so dearly. And they go, first thing they go, what is the best uh, medium to listen to it as a physical copy? And it's not tapes. It's not CDs. Not eight tracks. <laughs> it's, it's actually vinyl, and so wow. we're in a time where actually uh, sales of uh, vinyl uh, records far exceed sales of CDs at this point. And hmm. so it's it's weird the digital age has brought on a resurgence of vinyl. So. As a company, we've been doing vinyl and we've been doing digital. Now, we've been focused on digital, but the irony in being, I'm sorry, we've been focused on the vinyl, but the irony in this particular time in putting out this record we just put out, um, we were just expecting to sell records, put out a few records prior, and we kind of worked in a way in which we cater to, like, the boutique record shops, the, the mom-and-pop shops the, um, and some of the physical dis- distributors that are around the world, and that's what we are focused on. But this project, uh, because the popularity of my partner that I did the record with is taking off so much, we did a lot of digital sales, which we did not expect. You know, So we were actually, as a business, we're always kind of focused on the, the vinyl. And so this this digital has become like a new territory for us, but it's really taken off with, the, with this project. So um, now it's kind of like one of those things where one hand washes the other. So the the, the digital presence of it and streaming and, uh, you know, it, yeah, the, the presence of it in digital has enhanced the, the physical sales and vice versa. So it's, it's, it's worked well together, actually. Uh, what would you say some of the positive and negatives of when you started your work and your businesses? Mm -hmm. So in terms of, you know, us putting out records, um, you know, it can can be tough. I mean, it really is a labor of of love in the sense that um, nobody right now puts out records to get rich, (laughs) per se, is, is kind of um, a treat for a really deep music enthusiast, and that's kind of mm-hmm. what we are. And so um, us putting out records is just kind of a celebration of um, kind of like music nerd culture, you know. But this is actually the first project that we, we did where we actually turned a profit. So um, a big part of it is just having to deal with the cost of, producing a record physically, which is expensive. 
And mm-hmm. that's what made, you know, the digital world so convenient is because you can make an album for free and then you can upload it for pennies and then turn a profit. So um, because we actually do physical copies, we put a whole lot more into the front end, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, right. for that to happen. So um, in that sense, it was somewhat of a sacrifice, but at the same time, I, I really think that it, it kind of sends the statement to uh, people that do buy records that this is kind of about music culture, you know. So I think in a lot of ways the creating of physical copies isn't necessarily, you know, for the profit of it, which a profit can be made, but more so it's, it's about kind of a signal to those that are very passionate about the culture of music that, this exists in the medium that they deeply appreciate. And it kind of just, to me, adds more mystique and respect to the projects that you put out digitally if there are physical copies that exist. You know? Okay. Uh, who would you say your most memorable moments um, were with? Uh, period, like in life? Well, in, in your industry, both okay. visual well, arts uh, and music producing. Okay, great. So I'll say um, one of my most memorable moments in terms of music, it's so funny because I didn't realize the impact of it at that particular time. You know, some things when you're in it, you don't really know how how significant it is until after the fact, you know. And mm-hmm. for me, uh, so I was with my cousin Keir, who was in the music industry for a long time, uh, in New York City in 1993. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 1993. And we went to a club in New York uh, at the time called the Palladium. And it was a showcase for Atlantic music. And so Tupac was on the bill and MC Light was on the bill and the the youngsters were on the bill. And I was just excited to be there. And so Tupac is on stage being Tupac and and he's like, I want to bring my homie out. And this homie was the notorious big who at that time he only had one song out, uh, which was called Party and BS. And, and so Biggie performed the song and there's a part in the song where he talks about a fight breaking out. So just before that, it was like a million guys from Brooklyn on the stage <laughs> at that time. And they're like pushing each other and shoving each other. And it appeared to be a real fight happening. And so he gets wow. to the point of lyrics where he says, and the fight breaks out. And by this time, everybody's like just pushing and shoving on stage. And then everybody parts suddenly and he was lying on his back, and he started back rapping, and everybody goes crazy. And wow. it was just one of those moments where it was like, in it, it was exciting. But in retrospect, to be like, wow, like I was there just knowing everything that happened with their histories. To like, mm-hmm. be like, wow, I was there <laughs> to to see that, you know, that, Witness that, that moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... I think in terms of visual art, I think for me it was that significant moment uh, when I realized that 
I was going to create from a place that felt authentic for me, accepting that I may I might get nowhere with this, you know. And so to embrace that and to then be in a situation where, like, I was getting a lot of love and support uh, for what I was doing, like, that was a really big shift for me. What uh, in visual arts and music producing advice uh, could you give to people who either want to work with you or want to do something similar? Mm-hmm. So I, I, to be quite real, um, I always tell, like, the guys that – the young guys that I know and work with, like, if you – your intention is just to have a career at this, uh, don't follow my path. <laughs> because <laughs> because so much of how I function is all about now what I'm recognizing is that there is an immense viability <laughs> to authenticity because people crave it. But if someone is trying to position themselves in a way in which, you know, they're doing or creating to uh, sell records or sell art or whatever, sometimes that's going to be at the expense of their truth. And so if anybody appreciates what I'm doing, uh, as a creative and as a person that makes things or makes products or whatever, I would request that they recognize that for me, the thing in it that is resonating with them more than likely is the fact that um, what they're experiencing came as a result of me completely surrendering to what felt most loving for me to do in the creative process. And being okay with the fact that people may not get it, people may not understand it, but one thing that I always say is that I'm not here to have a relationship to uh, people's identity. And so I'm not really concerned about the cognitive relationship to what I do creatively. I'm more interested in the relationship to their heart that my creativity prompts. So, like, someone may not think much of it as art, but I know if they experience the art that I created, their heart receives the intentionality behind, you know, why it was created. And that's always been my focus. Where would you like to see your work in the future? Uh, I think for me, um, I always say, like, I'm the painted and not the painter. So mm-hmm. I would say that I'm actually more interested in where my art puts me rather than where I end up. I mean, where more so rather than where my art ends up. So um, the thing that I love most about having my art in the world is that it creates a space for discourse and community discussion and intimacy with other creatives. So 
I look most forward to um, the art creating new pathways and being able to meet people. And because really, I mean, for me, it's it comes down to uh, healing the separation between people through creativity. And so I think my art has put me in spaces where it allows me to make contact with people where we can create collective transformation and change. And and that's, that's the biggest part of it. Okay. Do you have any upcoming events or uh, anything going on? So, uh, man, it's like, I feel like that was last week. (laughs) You know, actually having to do performances during a pandemic is a little disconcerting, but we pulled it off. So I just recently uh, performed uh, for the Festival of Concert of Colors uh, in Detroit, which is online now um, Mm -hmm. for public television. And we just did that, and we are now just in a – mode of gearing up for uh the next run of physical copies for this out al- for this album that we just put out. So uh probably around late October to early November people can expect um more vinyl records because we sold out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh the record is coming back on vinyl in like the next month or so. So that's the thing that we've been gearing up for. Okay. And what's next for Sterling Tolls, the man himself? So what's next for me? So I am actually preparing to uh, score uh, a film uh, that should be out by next year and uh, kind of in the conceptual phase of scoring another a film uh, with a, a friend of mine uh, has been making a lot of noise. I won't say their name, but <laughs> but they're working on a project which I'm so happy about because it's a, a, a personal project and uh, about their childhood, and I'll be scoring that also. And working on an album with a jazz duo called Balance, and I'm producing um, their album, so. Uh, so those are the, the, the main things that are, are coming up. Okay. Well, thank you, Sterling Toll, so much for being on our show. We know that you and your work will continue to be a great success. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate your warmth and your receptivity, and it's been cool. For more information on Sterling Tolls, you can look him up on Facebook and the Internet. Thanks for listening to our 2020 Business of Entertainment series on... Remember to check us out on Twitter and Facebook. You're listening to Enterprise on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Erica Collins.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.